Hey, good morning, Forefront. It's good to see you guys. Welcome. It's good to be back in the space with you guys today. If you're tuning in online, I want to just welcome you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for uh, just worshiping with us today and, and as we come together to point our eyes and our hearts to Jesus. If you guys are new here, my name is Drew and I'm the lead pastor. We're just so glad you're with us this morning. We have a very special guest in the room this morning. We've got baby Evangeline as uh, Pastor Darren and Karina had their baby about a month ago or so. So this is um, baby Evangeline's first day at church, right? So that's good. That's really good. It's exciting. Also, I got to text this morning that Brian and Sam are, were on their way to the hospital for baby number two. So we're welcoming, welcoming new baby roads. We don't know a name yet, but we'll let you know when we know. So we'll, she'll be here soon. So excited about that. Well, hey, guys, it's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those. We'll be in the book of 1 Samuel today, and we're going to cover some serious ground. So I'd encourage you to grab that and turn there with me this morning. So if you've been with us the past few weeks, we kicked off January with a series called Reset. And we're just talking about how we can look and find just a reset into this new year. And, and I think every time we, we flip a calendar over, we see that there's these opportunities for us to evaluate our life and, and our faith and where we are. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the fact that, um, you know, it, whether it's your laptop or your phone, it's just those times when you just need to hit reset. You know, you're, you're pulling out your phone to play Candy Crush, and Candy Crush just doesn't seem to be working right. What do you need to do? You turn it off, and you turn it back on. Or you go home and your laptop just seems bogged down and it's not getting you anywhere. So you, you power it down and you power it back up. But I joke that I was, I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s. Any more, any 80s and 90s kids here today? You got a few of us? So in the 80s and 90s, you had the original Nintendo. And the original Nintendo, if the game didn't seem to work right, what did you do? You, you turned it off, you pulled out the cartridge, and what? Right? You blow on it, you put it back in, and then magic, voila, it turns right back on. It's interesting, though. I was reading an article this week. Some gamers decided they were going to find out if this is true or not. So they ran a bunch of tests, and here's what they found. They found that it's actually a myth. Blowing on the cartridge doesn't really work. And so now I'm confused. I don't know what to believe from my childhood. I'm just seriously not sure. So there's this idea that we need to hit reset at times in our lives. Earlier this week, we, uh, the girls, we, we um, got some Pillsbury Grands. You guys know what I'm talking about? The Pillsbury Grands, the really flaky kind, the kind that if you cook them just right with just a hint of butter and some honey, it gives you a glimpse of heaven. You know, those kinds. So we got some of those. We put them in the oven, eight minutes, 325, and about two minutes in, we get this beep, beep, beep. Look at our oven, and the, thermo- the thermostat's just going crazy. It's like 700 degrees. And so we're like, oh, man, so we're, you know, we're obviously trying to hit reset on the, on the oven. It won't work, so I have to run downstairs and reset the breaker box to get the thing to turn off. So I call my appliance guy named Ty. By the way, everybody needs an appliance guy. And he says, don't worry, I'll just come over and change the thermocoupler for you Star Wars fans. You guys know what that is. But anyways, I'm going to have to buy a new oven, it looks like. But we need to hit reset at different times in our lives. And the, the 20, as the calendar turned from 2020 crazy, the 2021, still crazy, we have to figure out how are we going to navigate becoming the people that God has called us to be? And how do we hit reset in areas of our faith and in our life and and slowly live into this calling that Jesus gives us? Because Jesus tells us in John 10.10 that he came to give us the abundant life, that he came to bring life and to give it to us in abundance. I think a lot of us look at the last year of our life and go, man, I just don't feel like it's been very abundant. 
And so I think we, we, we come up with these ideas and goals, and we say, hey, over the next year, I want to do this, and I want to do that. We start to ask the behavioral questions. You guys know. Statistics show 50% of people set some kind of a goal or resolution. So that means most of us. And so there's this idea that, hey, this year I want to read more. I want to eat better. I want to get healthy. I want to go to the gym. And that's a, those are fine things to shoot for. That's a good question is how do I change my behavior? But a better question is, God, who am I becoming? God, who do you want me to become? God, what are you doing in my life and how can I live that out? And so sometimes we have to hit reset. And so we talked two weeks ago about resetting our focus on God. Last week we talked about resetting our time. And today we're going to talk about resetting our relationships. You know, relationships are a, a tough topic. I don't, I, don't, I don't really, I don't think it matters how many friendships you have, how good those friendships are, or, or how much they're struggling right now. You know relationships are hard. Relationships take work. Relationships are messy. It's difficult. Yet there's something inside of us that, that this, you had this yearning, this longing that we are designed for relationships. We, we were created in a way to walk in community with each other. We need people who are like us. But yet people who aren't like us to stretch us and drive us, to push us, to be the people that God has called us to be. So relationships are important, and we are designed for them. The challenge is we're just not very good at them. I think you guys can look back over your life, and we've looked, especially over this last year, 2020, we see that relationships have been really hard. Whether it's, it's family, it's, it's at home, it's at work, it's in the community, it's even at church. Relationships are difficult. So I think as we kind of move into 2020, it's time to hit reset and think about relationships. We need relationships. And I think what we see in the Bible and in God's word is he tells us that we need friendship. That friendship is where the, the community that we are designed and wired for happens and takes place. Friendship is essential. And friendship is what holds us together. I like what Augustine says, uh, the early church father. He says this about friendship. He says that in the world, two things are essential, life and friendship. He actually combines life and friendship together. Like you can't really live life if you don't have friendship, that they're really inseparable. And I think we feel that sometimes in our own lives. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis. Notice what Lewis says. He says that friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it's the chief happiness of life. So you and I were designed with this longing for friendship. We were designed with this need to have friends in our lives. And so the question we have to try to wrestle with is how do we get better at being friends? And if God wants us to be, to have this friendship in our life, how, how do we live that out? Because we aren't the best at it. And we're in a world now that's more connected than it ever has been, but it's also more lonely than it ever has been. I've shared statistics with you guys on loneliness before, but I read a new study this week that found that one out of two, now I'm not, I don't have my scientific calculator out here, but I'm pretty sure that's 50%. One out of two people are lonely, and they are cited to have chronic loneliness or an ongoing loneliness. 13% says they have no one that knows them at all. 13%, more than one out of 10 people feel like they have nobody that knows them. There was a study done in Britain, and um, they found that 41% of Brits, 41% of, of people in the UK, so text your UK friends today, say that their number one companion in life is either their TV or their pet. TV or pet. To the point where in the UK, they've actually assigned a cabinet position in Parliament to a, the Minister of Loneliness. Like, this is a problem, but it's a problem here too. And I think in our own lives, we feel it. In our own lives, we, we see it. Yet as Christians, 
we have the greatest tools for friendship. We look at the Bible, and over and over again, God talks about the need for friendship. There's 59 verses in the New Testament where God talks about one another's. He tells us how to one another one another, right? We love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, bear each other's burdens. Like, that's friendship. And so friendship's important. It's, it's been placed on our heart, and it's been placed in God's word. But the reality is, although we have the tools for friendship, a lot of us just aren't good at friendship. And a lot of us don't have great friends in our lives. Some of us right now are maybe even struggling with friendship, and we're, we're feeling this loneliness. We're part of that 50%. We're one of the, the 13% that feels that way. So we have to combat this. And what I want us to see today is that in the Bible, we have a beautiful story of what friendship looks like in 1 Samuel 18. And as we navigate this friendship, what we're going to find, as, as we navigate this picture, what we're going to find is that God shows us how we can be better friends, how we can have greater friendships in our lives. And so my hope is that we can see that God is going to do something special through us as we seek greater friendships and to become those people. And we're going to figure this mic static out in just a, a quick second here. So if you have your Bibles, let's jump in. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're going we're gonna to cover some serious verses this morning. And so grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles, and we will be in 1 Samuel 18. Turns out I needed to change those batteries after all. <laughs> all right, 1 Samuel 18. Now, this is a really interesting text, and we're going to cover some serious grounds, so strap your seatbelt on. But I want to just set scene. We've got David. David has just killed Goliath. And so now David has risen to prominence. David has risen to, uh, to fame in Israel. And so we see him strike this friendship with Jonathan. And this is this one of the best pictures of friendship we see in the entire Bible. So we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. And notice this. We see that Jonathan and David become fast friends. 1 Samuel 18 says this. Says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, so David just slays Goliath. He comes and talks to the king. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So something happens that, you know, we're fast-forwarding in the story, but Jonathan and David, they become really good friends really quick. I think some of you have had friendships like that, right? You meet, immediately you click, you're buddies. You guys are talking, texting, whatever it is. You guys are on the same wavelength. Sometimes it takes time. But Jonathan and David, they hit it right off to the point where Saul now tells David that he's kind of come and live in the royal palace. He's going to come live with the family. I think Saul's got some self-seeking things here because he sees that David's this famous guy now that everybody loves, and he brings him into the house. But we see God doing something really cool in between uh, this time with David and with Jonathan. So we they become really good friends. And then in, in uh, verse 2, notice this. Um, so Saul takes him into the house, verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword with his, and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. So he gives David this position in the army. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. So in this story, which we're going to cover multiple chapters, we're going to see five marks of godly friendship. Five marks of true godly friendship 
friendship. And here's the first one if you're taking notes at home. The first one is this, that true godly friendship focuses on giving over receiving. We see this in the life of Jonathan and David, that true godly friendships focus on giving. That it wasn't what Jonathan was going to get back, but it was what he was going to give to David. Notice what he gives David. He, he, he gives David his robe. John, remember, Jonathan's the son of the king, right? Heir apparent to the throne. He gives David his robe. He gives David his armor. He gives David his belt and his bow. Why? Why would Jonathan just give everything that symbolized his position to David? Because I think something happened in their friendship where Jonathan realized that God was doing something. You know, Rob and I were joking about what it would have been like for Jonathan and David hanging out. Right? These guys weren't sitting on their phones playing while watching TV together. Like, this was campfire living, right? These guys are sitting around the campfire telling stories, talking about what God is doing. And I'm sure David shared with Jonathan, man, this guy Samuel shows up at my house and says that I'm going to be appointed and anointed the new king. By the way, don't right? It's going to be a bad situation. And so Jonathan sees David, and he sees what God's doing. He sees his mark on his life, and they've got this friendship together. And so we see that Jonathan just gives David all of his royal things. And he does so because he wants David to have the same honor that he has. See, there's something beautiful in friendship where there's, there's no competition here. He says, David, I want you to have the same honor I have. I'm the son of the king. You need to be honored the same. And so he, he wants David to feel as important as he was. Now, there's this really crazy scene that happens right after this in verses 6 through 9. Look there real quick. We see that they're coming back, right? And so now uh, the, this, there's this song that people are singing and people are dancing. And there's this song where they're singing, Saul has killed his thousands. And I'm just thinking, right, right, that's right. You know, he's feeling good about himself. But then they, they add another refrain that says, but David, his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, we see something happen. We see this competition start with Saul and with David. And verse 9 says that Saul, his, his, basically he gets sideways with David, that he looks at David differently, and it changes the dynamic of the relationship with David, but not with Jonathan. See, David's a threat to the royal family, but Jonathan, he isn't phased by that. Jonathan sees what God is doing in David's life, and he celebrates it. He wants to give to his friend. I think sometimes in our own friendships, I think we mix this up. I think we mix up this idea of giving and getting. And I don't know about you guys, but doesn't it feel like sometimes relationships are really one-sided? Like that one, one, you know, it seems like one person's the giver, one person's the, the getter. So I think sometimes we mix this up, and, and sadly, a lot of our friendships are based on what we can get out of that friendship. We reach out when we need something. It's how that's going to benefit us, and we give as long as we get back. But let me ask you this. How many of you guys treat friendship like a covenant, a promise, more than a contract? You know, see, we see here that, that Jonathan and David made a covenant together. That in verse 3, that they, they made this covenant, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. He promised. He said, I promised we're going to be friends forever, right? Fast friends forever. We're best friends now. And so this, there's nothing that's going to get in the way, and that's risky. But, you know, I think a lot of our friendships, we, we treat them more like contracts. Hey, as long as you keep up your end of the bargain, as long as you call me as much as I call you, as long as you text me and send me as many funny gifts as I send you, then we can stay friends. But the minute you start taking from me and you're not giving as back as much as I give, or the minute you get toxic and start posting political posts on Instagram, then we're done, right? 
It's more of a contract than it is a covenant or a promise. But verse 3 here says that there is this covenant made, this promise, that no matter what happens, they're going to stay friends. And that's risky. But isn't friendship risky? Shouldn't friendship be risky to put ourselves out for another person? C.S. Lewis says that all genuine friendship is risky. So are you taking risks with your friends? Or are you waiting for them to reach out and to call you and then getting mad when they don't? We see that we have to give True godly friendship is based on giving. Notice verse 2. Saul is controlling David. He's saying, you stay here or else. But Jonathan's saying, I will go anywhere because of our friendship. So how many of you look at friendship this way or think of it like that? You know, I think one of the reasons that we struggle with friendship in the West, especially in America and and kind of our individualistic culture, is because we, we look at friendship as transactional or as situational. Scott Sauls wrote a book called Befriend. And it's about just about friendship and being friends with difficult people. And he says this. He says that that um, that most of our friendships aren't really friendships, but that they're transactional, they're situational, meaning that you, you work with somebody, your kids are on the same soccer team, whatever it is, and it puts you in the same place. But we are expecting to get out of them what friendship was meant to give, but they aren't really true friendships. That, that they're based on what we're getting and, and that situation we're in. And so I think we have to ask that question is, how many of our friendships are, are like this? How many of our friendships are, are not really committed to the friendship? See, when you're not truly committed to the friendship, then when you move away or life situations change or somebody views political issues differently than you do, it's really easy for that friendship to shift or that friendship to dry up. But when we say, look, we are committed to friends no matter to be friends no matter what happens, it'll overcome all that. It'll rise above all that. And those are the kind of friendships we need. So Jonathan is not competing with David here. You know, David's got a song. Saul has a song. Where's Jonathan's song? Right? You don't read about a song that Jonathan has. Yet Jonathan killed a whole or, or defeated a whole garrison of Philistines, but he didn't get a song. Maybe it's kind of hard to rhyme Jonathan with Philistines. I don't know. But he didn't get a song. But yet Jonathan's not hung up that he didn't get a song. I think God's teaching us something here about comparison. I think he's saying that comparison kills companionship. That comparison kills friendship. So when you're too busy comparing yourself to your friend and competing with your friends, man, there's no way that friendship's going to grow. And there's no way that friendship's going to create and push you, drive you to become the person God has created you to be. So God is showing us that friendship is about giving and not just getting. But notice what happens next in the story. The story takes a crazy turn. Saul is mad that David's getting all the notoriety. And so uh, we actually read later in the chapter that this spirit of depression comes on Saul, and Saul tries to kill David. Now, if you guys know David's story, David played the harp, right? That was like lead guitar back in those days, right? The harp was the thing to be, right? You were the coolest guy in high school if you played the harp. So David's playing the harp. Saul gets this weird spirit of depression and throws a spear at David, not once, but twice. Like two different times he throws a spear at David. And David at this point is like, what's up with the spear? Like this is weird, you know? So he gets mad and he leaves. And so Saul thinks, well, that didn't work. I've got to do something else. So then Saul calls David back in and says, David, I want you to be over, be a commander in my army. So he puts David as a commander and over thousands, and so he thinks David's going to die in battle. David goes out and turns into George Washington, right? Everything he touches, they win, right? They, they can't lose. And so David's, David is victorious. Israel loves him. Saul's mad. 
So Saul thinks, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have him marry my daughter, because that's usually a good way of trying to take somebody out by having him marry your daughter, right? So Saul gives David his daughter, forgetting that his daughter is already engaged to another guy. So that doesn't work. And so then he tells him, okay, David, I'm going to have you marry my daughter, Michael. And she loves you. You love her. This is going to be really good, but there's going to be a price. David's like, what? Yeah, I'll do it, whatever it takes. He says, the price is 100 uh, Philistine foreskins. It's like, that's weird. That's really a weird wedding gift. Okay, but whatever you say. So he gets his buddies, and they all go out, and they kill 200 Philistines. And so David shows up to the wedding showers. It's like really weird gift, right? It's like the weirdest wedding shower of all time. But then Saul takes the gift, gives David his daughter. David gets married. And now Saul's mad because he thought the Philistines were going to kill David. So Saul, everything Saul keeps trying to do to David isn't working so then he tries to, to kill him again in, verse, in chapter 19. Notice this. He comes up with this elaborate plan to try to kill David. Look, this is just so crazy. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, and, and, and said that, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's sons, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in the secret place and hide yourself. And I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. Verse 5, For he took his life in, for he took his life in his hand and struck down the Philistine, Goliath, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And verse 6 says that Saul listened to his son. That Saul listened to David. And he, he says, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Here's the second mark of true godly friendship. Is that true godly friendship defends others. That there's this defense of others. This is a really gutsy move by Jonathan. Because I don't know if you know much about kings, but what kings said went. And if you were the son of the king, that didn't matter. And so Jonathan going to his father and saying, Dad, why would you kill David? He has brought so many good blessings to Israel. That was a pretty gutsy move. He could have lost his life for that. But it shows us this mark of true godly friendship. See, it would have been a lot easier for David or for Jonathan just to look at Saul and be like, okay, yeah, whatever, not say anything because he'd look good in his dad's eyes. But he didn't do that. He took a risk and told his dad, look, dad, don't kill David. Stop what you're doing. And he defended David. But notice what Saul does. See, Saul's a people. Saul had no intention of not hurting David. So what does he tell Jonathan? Okay, yeah, as the Lord lives, which that was his mistake, one of his mistakes. Yeah, as the Lord lives, I will not kill David. And so you see this picture. One person is defending their friend. The other person is being a people pleaser. How about our friendships? When you think about your friendship, are you a defender or are you a people pleaser? See, it takes a lot to defend a friend. You can find out which one you are based on how you talk about that friend when they're not around. See, it's exhausting to be a people pleaser. It, it, it wears you down because you got to remember what you said to that friend about this friend. And if that friend finds out what you said about, to this friend, then you got to defend yourself. It's difficult being a people pleaser. It wears you down and it makes friendships hard. But that's what God is telling us, that true friendship 
is defending one another. So how do you ask that, answer that question? How good a friend are you when it comes to this? When you're talking with a friend and somebody has something to say that maybe not good, maybe negative, or, or knocking somebody down, do you jump in and defend them? Or do you just nod your head along and go, yeah, yeah, right, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I don't like that either. It's exhausting, and that isn't what true godly friendship is based on. So this week, let's listen to how we talk to friends. This week, let's listen to how we talk to our coworkers. Let's listen to how we talk to our family. If our friends aren't around, what are we saying? Are we defending? Are we trying to please the crowd around us? Notice what happens next. So Saul lies to Jonathan, and then he tries to kill David again with a spear, and David gets away. Now, this is a really weird scene. I'm telling you, we should do a whole series on 1 Samuel sometime because this is really strange stuff. So David gets away. Saul chases after him, right? And so... So uh, Saul sends these messengers to watch and kill David. So David's wife catches, catches what's happening. And so Michael tells David, hey, David, my father's going to come and try to kill you again. He's sending some mercenaries, so you should get out of here. And so they do the old straw man trick. You guys remember Ferris Bueller's Day Off? You know, put the pillow under the covers, right? And so Saul was so weird about this. He actually told the mercenaries to go pick up David's bed and bring it back so he could see him lose his life. It was weird. And so they go, and they bring back a straw, a straw man, right? And so Saul is mad, and he calls Michael out for helping David. And so then uh, this really, really strange thing happens. David runs to Samuel, and Saul follows, right? So Saul's chasing David down, and they get to this place where the weirdest thing happens. Saul strips down to his birthday suit and starts prophesying, and David escapes. I, I have no idea what this is even about, but... Um, you know, we're, we're going to look into this. Maybe we'll have a, like a, an equipping session later to talk about what this looks like to prophesy in your birthday suit. I don't know. Maybe it's bathtub theology or something. But something weird happens here, and we'll, another sermon for another day. And we see that David gets out of there, right? In, in chapter 20, we see this, that David and John reconnect. And Jonathan didn't know that David tried to kill him again. So notice what happens. Chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? See, Jonathan didn't know that David tried to kill him again. But David's like, What is up? You just told me everything was fine. But now your dad's trying to kill me again. What's up with this? And Jonathan says, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan says to David, verse 4, notice this, Whatever you say, I will do for you. See, Jonathan just found out that his dad had lied to him, that he had been deceived. That had been really hard to hear. But Jonathan says to David, I believe you. See, the third mark of true godly friendship is this, that true godly friendship is built on listening. You know, he's listening to David. He was understanding what David's saying. He believed David. And he says, I'll do whatever you need to do because I believe your word because our friendship is built on listening. Ross Lester, he's a pastor in Texas, he says that listening is a Christian discipline that shows that we believe in the Imago Dei. That when we listen, it means that I am looking at you and realizing that you are made in the image of God. That you garner the, the respect and the honor for me to hear you out. And that's a mark of friendship. So let me ask you, when you think of your friendships, 
Are you a good listener? When you're connecting with a buddy or you're talking with your friend, you're hanging out, having lunch, or grabbing a coffee, walking a trail, and your friend's talking, are you listening? Are you truly listening to what they have to say? Because listening's hard, isn't it? It takes effort. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, and it's just about this idea of, of friendship and life as we walk through, uh, as we walk this life together. And he says this. He says, the, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as, as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. Do you catch what Bonhoeffer says? That you can't actually love a friend unless you listen to him. So think about those friendships in your life. Who's the listener? Are you guys both listening? You know, I, I think of... Uh, some of the best friends I've had in my life. I think you could probably say the same thing. Think in your mind. I guarantee you their, their face will come up. Who's been some of the greatest friends you've had? I guarantee you that person that comes up is a good listener. I guarantee you that person that you thought of was somebody who's listened to you during a t- tough time. When they think of their best friends, do they think of you? Are you that kind of listener? So as you think about that, who do you need to call this week and just listen to? Who do you know that's going through a tough season, who's starting 2021 off in a really hard time that you need to call and talk to and just listen and not talk about what's on your mind but what's on theirs? And so the crazy story continues. Saul's trying to kill David. And so David and Jonathan, they work out this elaborate signal plan. Remember, there was no text messaging back in those days, right? And they, they had to come up with some kind of a plan that would allow David to know, is it safe? come out or not. So Saul, or so, so Saul is on the hunt for David. David is told by Jonathan, go live to this cave, and then I'm going to come down there, and I'm going to shoot some arrows. If my father wants to kill you, I'm going to shoot arrows on this side. If it's free for you to come out, I'm going to shoot arrows on this other side. And so David is hiding out in this cave, and here comes Jonathan. And Jonathan finds out that Saul is still on the hunt, still wants to kill him. And so Jonathan shoots his arrows to the, to the, the certain side that they agreed upon. And then when Jonathan's, um, his help goes to get the arrows, Jonathan goes, no, 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 the arrows are further this way. And takes a huge risk and goes down there to talk to David. Now remember, they've been friends for years at this point. David's been on the run. This is ugly. It, the situation's really nasty. And so he takes a big risk to go see him. But, man, this is what friendship's all about. And so look at verse 40. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 40. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face in the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is a really interesting, this is a really interesting section of, of Scripture. And I think sometimes we look at this and we get a little uncomfortable because we see these, these two guys and, and affection. And I, and I think in, in the West, in the U.S., especially for us as guys, sometimes we get kind of weirded out when we see this idea of brotherly affection. And it's like, you know, you, maybe if you were in Sunday school, the old flannel graph, Jonathan, you envision these guys just riding on like a, you know, a two-seater bicycle, singing we're best friends kind of thing. Not what's going on here. The, I mean, David and Jonathan, these dudes are 
the most skilled of warriors. I mean, think black ops, right? Think like Green Beret on steroids. Like these guys are studs, you know, as big a studs as you could get, SWAT team kind of guys. But yet they see each other, they break down in tears, and they have this affectionate moment, which in the Middle Eastern is a Middle Eastern expression of affection. Remember, Paul talks about the holy kiss. They didn't have COVID-19 then, right? We can't do the holy kiss anymore, right? Just the fist bump. But there was this affection, and I think it shows us something. It shows us this fourth mark of godly friendship is that godly friendship is affectionate in word and in action. Your friends need to know that you care about them. If our friendship is this superficial, on the surface, hey, bro, good to see you, man, you know, side hug, leave room for the Holy Spirit kind of thing, then are they truly going to know how you feel? Two of the manliest men of all time right here, hugging in a field, crying, because the situation they've been in has been horrible. Are you showing affection to your friends? The question is, do your friends know how you, that you love them? Have you actually told your friend, hey, I love you. I want you to know I, I love you. I'm committed to this. This is what we're in this thing together. That's where Jonathan and David are at right here. You know, I don't know about you guys. I, I hope you do. I hope you have those friendships in your life where you, you end that phone call like, love you, man. Lo- love you. Because it's, a, it's an indication of these godly friendships that are based on more than some transaction or more than some than some situation, but it's based on the true friendship that we were designed to live, that God gives us, and God wants us to live friendships like that. You know, I, personally in my life, I've got a, a few buddies that we've been buddies since high school, and we stay in contact. We don't talk as much as we need to. This is a this is a convicting message on my heart that I need to do a better job of giving and getting. But uh, man, when we get when we get done hanging out or we get off the phone call, there's always that, "Hey, love you, man. Love you, bro." praying for you, man. Are you guys doing that? Because that's been huge for me when it comes to friendship. And I guarantee you, it'll be huge for you and for your friends. That true godly friendship, it's affectionate. It's not surface level. It goes deep. So do your friends know you love them? If not, you need to tell them. So tell them this week. Now, moving on, this is just a crazy story. I know we've been moving through it quick. We've been three chapters of Saul pursuing David. It's like born identity, right? Just, or die hard, right? This is just boom, 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 craziness. But we see it start to kind of wrap up a little bit here in 1 Samuel 23. Saul is still after David. This is really the last time that we're going to see David and Jonathan talk because J- David or Jonathan's going to die in battle soon. So notice this, 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zip at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand. Notice that. If you've got a pen and a Bible, I want you to highlight that, circle that, star that. It says he strengthened his hand, and he said to him, notice, Jonathan to David. David is struggling with his faith. David is struggling with his promise of God. David is scared, and he's tired, and he's exhausted. But notice what Jonathan says in verse 17. He says, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Right there, I mean, we could do a whole sermon on verse 17. This idea that Jonathan strengthened David's hand. Jonathan reminded David of the promises of God. And Jonathan saw David in a weak moment and gave David a fresh grip on the truth 
of God's word. And here's our fifth and final mark of godly friendship. True godly friendship strengthens one another's faith. That our friendships are meant to strengthen one another's faith. God has put that desire for friendship on your heart, and it's just not so you guys can laugh and, and, and tell jokes. It's so that you guys can strengthen one another in your walk to become the people God has called you to be. It's the true mark of friendship. I like what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says this. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. That's the mark of friendship. That's the one another Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. See, don't miss this. Specifically, God has put you in somebody's life to build them up. God has put you in somebody's life to strengthen them. Somebody's right now after a hard 2020, a really challenging start to 2021, their faith is, is getting weak. Somebody is losing hope. Somebody in a relationship is starting to slip, and what they need is for you to come alongside them and strengthen them and build them and encourage them. And what an incredible picture of godly friendship we see here. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself this week. As you're talking with friends, as you're moving in and out, as you're going to work and back to school and all of these things, whose hand are you strengthening? Whose faith are you strengthening? Who are you texting to say, man, I'm praying for you? Hey, it's been a tough week. I'm praying for you. Who are you sending a Bible verse of encouragement to? Who are you pointing to Jesus and the promises that Jesus has made? Because that friend needs you, right? That friend needs you to hit reset and to become the friend that God puts you in their life to be. Now, you may be here today. You may see this of Jonathan and David, and you may say, man, I wish I had that in my life. I wish I had friendships like that. You might be walking through a lonely season where you just don't feel like you have those friendships. But I want you to see that that friendship, these godly friendships, they're available to us. That God has shown us what it looks like. But we have to step out and get out of our comfort zone and become the friend that we want to be. You know, it's funny how it works, but the people who are the best friends have the best friendships. And so we need to set our own, we need to work on ourselves first. We need to hit reset on ourselves first. And we need to become the person first if we expect to have the friendships that we want. So think about maybe a friendship that you've had that's maybe dried up. The person that's come to mind. Maybe God's tugging at you and saying, he wants you to reach out to him today. He wants you to send him that text and say, hey, it's been a long time since we talked. But God put you on my heart today. How are you? And restart that conversation. Maybe there's a friendship that went sideways because you guys don't agree politically or there was a situation that happened and you think to yourself, God is tugging at me right now to reach out to that person and let them know I'm praying for them. See, God's telling us to make the first move because God made the first move for us. See, as powerful as this picture of David and Jonathan is, we have the, the, the ultimate picture of friendship. Is what God did in sending Jesus Christ here for us. John 15, 13. We're going we're gonna to close with this. This is what Jesus says to us. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for who? His friends. Jesus calls us his friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known 
to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. Jesus says, you are my friend, and I'm going to show you the ultimate picture of friendship by laying my life down for you. You know that old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's absolutely right. Jesus was generous. He committed. He defends us. Jesus listens to us. Jesus speaks word of affection over us and lets us know that he he loves us. And Jesus strengthens us. And when you know Jesus in your life, you have the greatest picture of friendship. Jesus says, do what I did to you. Do what I did for you, for somebody else, for their friend, so that they can see me in you. So here's the question for you guys as we close up our time today. Who is God putting on your heart right now to strengthen? Who is God putting on your heart right now to step out and to take that risk and to go and to give no matter what you get back? Who is God calling you to, to, to reach out to and listen, just to lend an ear, to let them know that you love them, to let them know that you care? That you care? Some of us may have been walking through a difficult time, but no friendship is beyond repair. When you look to God and use his strength to help him give you the words to say, to reach out, God can do amazing things. You may say, well, right now, Drew, I'm just in a tough spot, and I just don't feel like I've got anybody here in my corner anymore. I want you to know that I love you and that we love you and that you've got friends here. And the whole idea of our life groups that we have here at Forefront is to do life together. We like to say life is better done in circles than in rows. And so I encourage every single one of us, whether we've got tons of friends or no friends, we need to be plugged in to community and to a life group because that is where true godly friendship can grow into something beautiful. See, Jesus told us that he loves us and he came for us because we're his friends. And he calls us to now go do the same for someone else. So this week, let's be those kind of friends. Let's point our friends to Jesus. Let's pray together.